Earthy Girls is a mother-daughter duo who love the planet and all things green. Raquel is a Dallas-based florist, while Rebecca is a lifelong gardener and artist. Together, they co-create beautiful gift boxes with recycled florals, paper, and wax. Together, they are the Earthy Girls. Hey, Raquel. Hey, Mom. How are you? I'm good. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hey, what did you think about um, our highlight reel that I published last week? It was awesome. You did such a good job, and it was <laughs> it was really funny to hear the evolution of our first season and kind of how, you know, I felt like we were really gung-ho in the beginning and super passionate, and like you said, we kind of sounded really nerdy <laughs> in the beginning. <laughs> Super nerdy. Yes. But but. I loved it. I loved hearing all of our, you know, our little tidbits that we were sharing. And obviously, I really loved hearing from all of our guests. Those are Mm -hmm. so great. Can't wait to have our new guests for the second season. Yes. And we had to put put the tinkers behind because they're, you know, a lot of people are sick right now. You know, first time, first of the new year and cold and flu and then the virus. So cold, uh, flu and COVID season. So yes. Just um, a little bit, you know, we'll talk about kind of a, a non-toxic, healthy lifestyle at the end of the show. But, you know, now's kind of the time. Now is the time. Okay. So, Raquel, what did you do for the planet last week or the last two weeks? Well, guess what? I had my first wedding of the year last weekend. So, yeah, it was good to get started. Had a little break from the holidays and then was ready to get back in the studio designing. And, you know, I'm just an earthy girl. So I'm an earthy florist and my team knows. And we just take a lot of precautions in the studio to be as eco-friendly as possible because I am aware that the floral industry is just very wasteful. In general, weddings are very wasteful. Mm-hmm. I'm going into my 12th year of owning my own business and you can make a decision just like we talk about your ripple effect. Everything that you do has an effect around you. What's your ripple like? What's your ripple around you today? So, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I pay a lot of attention in how I can use less waste, how we can create less waste. So we're always trying to recycle as much as possible. Every flower that comes in in boxes, those boxes are broken down. Well, first they're reused. Mm-hmm. If we can reuse them and package our flowers up in the van. We'll use those boxes. So I don't have to buy separate packing boxes. I mean, we save everything. Every box that comes in from Amazon, if it's got, you know, a little bubble wrap or even grocery bags, we have a whole bag of just reusable stuffing. Yes. <laughs> so you'd be so proud. I am. And everybody knows to grab the bag of stuffing and they stuff the, it around the flower arrangements and we reuse boxes, reuse, you know, bubble wrap and any kind of just paper that can be wrapped around a vase. And then, you know, we are saving water. We don't use any harmful chemicals or preservatives in my flowers so that way I can water the plants. Mm-hmm. Even though it's looking a little sad right now because it's winter, I don't have very many plants to to water. So but doing my part as best I can there. And then, you know, we're just recycling everything we possibly can. When flowers come in, we are taking their rubber bands off the, the packaging and saving those instead of clipping them. And that way we've got, you know, free rubber bands to be able to, to bundle something together. Yes. And then we're taking the, the paper and the cardboard and separating that up when, it, when, you know, a dozen roses or a bunch of roses come in, they're wrapped in paper, they're wrapped in plastic, they're wrapped in cardboard. So we're going through and we're processing our roses, but we're saving as much as we can, recycling, you know, putting it, the paper. And also, too, a lot of times I'm giving 
make cards for Earthy Girls. So, yes, you know, we're doing everything we can. And it's just a reminder of the start of the year, first wedding of the year. Okay, how can we be better? How can we be more eco-friendly? How can we help the earth a little bit, you know, each day at a time? So really just trying to be as less wasteful and harmful as we can with weddings. And you are creating almost uh, a circular system for yourself, reusing. So that's awesome, Raquel. Well, I did, um, you know, segueing off of buying your, you know, shopping with your values. As an earthy girl, I'm, whenever I make a purchase, I'm mindful of the impact uh, that my purchase is having on the planet. So I needed a new dishwasher. Haven't had one in... Um, or a new one. I mean, it didn't, I've, I've had one obviously, but I got a new dishwasher and I shopped specifically for an energy star. So that was my, other than stainless steel, that was my number one criteria is that it was, uh, it got the highest rating as an energy star. And so that was a good purchase for me. Um, I also had company over the long holiday weekend. We had some out-of-town guests. And so I knew, even though I had gotten my new dishwasher, I knew I didn't want to waste water. And I found some nice compostable um, paper plates. And they're made out of 100% recycled uh, cardboard. So, and they were nice and sturdy. So I bought those. You know, I only got like, I think there was 12 in the package and it cost Mm -hmm. Raquel, but it was worth it for me because I didn't want to waste water. Um, And it was a small gathering. There was only six of us. So I knew that, you know, 12 plates would be fine. And um, I bought those. And then also I used, um, I haven't used my new dishwasher for this, but I, you gave me, I think like 125 different votives that you've been saving and storage from, mm-hmm. you know, and so I've been cleaning those today. So we will reuse those when we make uh, our votives for the earthy girl gift boxes. So, and then the other thing I, I'm doing the, the last couple of days is uh, what I call batch cooking. And I take one thing of chicken, you know, it's got what, six to eight breasts in it. And I make all my meals for that. That way I can just, you know, be in the kitchen, you know, pretty much all day and get three meals out of it for, uh, for, you know, big Papa and I, since there's only the two of us. So that, and it keeps the house warm while we're, you know, it's really cold here in Texas right now. So, but anyways, this episode is all about you, Raquel, my my earthy child. So we want, I want the listeners to get to know how you got where you are now, because it is, you know, I don't know if you remember, I had bought a bracelet for you about not all who wander is lost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have taken a meandering, beautiful path to get to where you are. Like you said, you're celebrating 12 years as a small business owner, but, uh, you've kind of done a lot of the same things all together, almost like a tapestry of being an earthy girl. So let's, let's get started with the very first question. How did you get interested in science when you were a child? Oh my gosh. I feel like I've just always been a part of the natural world. I think, you know, I'm a naturalist. I've always been a naturalist. I love being outside. I love plants. I love flowers. I loved bugs. I loved butterflies. I loved rocks. You know, as um, a single mom, you had us outside a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I think that I just really learned to look around the world around me. And I was just in awe of everything. You know, I loved trees. Corey and I loved climbing trees. And then, you know, thinking about 
you know, the world around us, it's all science. So I don't know. Do you, can you remember like, when was I first in, in love with flowers or, you know, I remember picking up rocks in front of our first house and looking for the little doodle bugs. I mean, I just feel like I've always been ingrained in science and I've always loved art. And those have been my two biggest passions, science and art. And I was able to kind of figure that together with floral design. You know, we'll talk more mm -hmm. about that. But, you know, as a young kid, what do you think stuck out? Well, I think it's funny is because now that I'm remembering and I think this is, you know, true watching the grandchildren. Children are very interested naturally in mm -hmm. in rocks and little l tiny little things and their little fingers try to grab it. And I think a lot of mothers back in the day would say, Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. But I didn't do that with you guys. I let you pick up the doodle bugs. I let you pick up the rocks and play with the rocks. I let you put your hands in the dirt and get dirty um, because you all were so fascinated. And I think that's just, that's, I think that's a natural evolution from a baby to a child is that they're learning to see things and they're like, what is that little thing? Why is it moving? You know, why is that rock? You know, we had uh, uh, big papa's. Well, we had, we had a two-year-old over here over Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, and she was playing with all the rocks and she was putting them in her pockets and she loved the rocks. And I think that that is just a human tendency is when you're a young child, even babies, they want to pick things up. And I think it's up to the, the parents to say, yo, you can put your, you know, put all those rocks in your pocket. You know, I know it's going to be a pain later on when I take them out of your pocket before I wash your clothes, but it's okay. And I think that you cultivate uh, that sensitivity towards nature and you cultivate the openness of, of exploration. So I think I gave you that, uh, as a young, cause I was a young mom and I, and I too was, you know, have always been fascinated with bugs, rocks, trees, sticks, dirt. So it was, it was okay for me to let you do that. And it's a very inexpensive toys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I was so happy to have a boy first because I felt like, okay, even though I'm not this super sporty mom, I, you know, I like to play sports, but you know, I, I was like, okay, we're going to connect in the garden. I took Hunter outside in the garden all the time. We had our garden box. He helped me water. We looked for bugs and doodle bugs and, you know, earthworms. And, you know, my friends were like, you're such a good mom because you get down in the dirt with your kids. And I'm like, you can too, you know, it's just fun. Um, but do you remember, I remember in the fifth grade, we could research any scientist we wanted to. And I researched Jane Goodall. So then we got to, we had to get dressed up and do a presentation like her. So you know, I feel like I've always been really interested in women scientists and, you know, just the natural world in general. Yes. And then you had a period where you wanted to be a lobbyist for the EPA. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. You know, um, I loved biology. I think the first time I took ninth grade biology, I fell in love with cells and mm -hmm. from there, it was there was really no going back. You know, I had the the naturalist heart, and I loved flowers, and I loved floral design. I loved being in the garden with you. But once I took my first biology class, I was like, oh, man, this is something I'm really interested in. I loved literature. I loved history. I loved writing. I loved practicing my writing as a kid. Um, but I really loved biology, and I did really yeah. well. I made, like, 99 in biology freshman year and then took AP, you know, honors biology my senior year. And then, yeah, I went into, you know, college thinking I was going to be environmentalist. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you did and you and you wanted to be you know a public speaker and you and in high school your uh clothing choices were always very earthy you know you always had on your blue jeans or your um your blue jean overalls and you would put a little bandana in your hair even before it was cool you were always very dressed earthy and almost we were the farmers so that kind of just you know the fighting farmers was our mascot so I could just kind of be a farmer (laughs) an earthy trick and it didn't really matter you know and um yeah you know being environmentalist and you know public speaking I did you know I think freshman year college went into public speaking and decided that really wasn't my forte. I really loved science. So mm-hmm. kind of ventured into, you know, got my associates in environmental science and got to do a lot of fun things in college. Yeah. Um, do you remember when you, uh, you had a semester in the summer where you went down to Corpus Christi um, and you were at that time, you were thinking you were going to be a marine biologist. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got into this like, okay, what can I do? how can I make money at science? You know, how can I be a scientist, but also have a career that is going to fulfill me, but I also be able to pay the bills, you know? So did a studies, my college had a marine biology program. Actually, it was a, it was just a biology program. So we did, you know, a few weeks at the coast for marine biology. And then there was a botany aspect to that course. And I think that's when I really fell in love with botany. I loved making my books in college, you know, or in high school, Mm -hmm. I used to press, press the leaves and, um, you know, catalog the plants. I remember even taking a ginkgo biloba leaf from the White House and putting it in my honors Mm -hmm. (laughs) botany book for senior year. And I was so impressed. I, you know, had to tell my professor, this is from the White House, because we had to collect as many leaves from trees and catalog them as possible. So, That marine biology program, I loved it. I thought it was going to be so fun. But then we had to literally catalog every single organism that we found, every shell, every fossil, every, you know, uh, little sand dollar piece, you know, (laughs) I was like, I think I told you, I never want to see a seashell again. Well, and, and it was funny is because it was, it was down and dirty. I had given you an old pair of boots that I had because you needed some kind of boots that you could be in the water. And you were like, mom, I'm in the water with all this mud and all these reeds. And, and, you know, I thought it was funny when you brought those book those boots back. I said, well, let's just throw those away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love being in the ocean. I love the ocean. I love the sea. There's just something so nurturing about being out there and just I mean it feels your soul you know being out in the ocean but I didn't really want to work in it every day so um, on that course we actually did do some botany where we would just go out in a big field and we would just have to collect as many wildflowers as possible and then we had to take them back to the lab and classify them and catalog them and press them and I really loved that so mm-hmm. you know I've always been just in love with plants I love the natural world. I think Mother Earth is just so cool. She gives us so many resources and so many gifts. And, you know, I've taught my son to do the same when we were in Florida over the summer. He was like, Mom, the ocean is being so kind to us, just giving yep. us so many gifts. You know, he was collecting these little seashells. Every little, every time the tide came up, it would bring him a new seashell. And, you know, he's very... Uh, concerned with you know the planet and mother earth so he definitely tossed those seashells back at the end but oh and I noticed when he was here on Monday he was fascinated he goes mommy why do Mimi's paper towels look like that and we were both like (laughs) bamboo (laughs) it's better it's better for the planet 
than, you know, cutting down trees. So, okay. So yes, that's when you discovered when you were in that field and you were, you know, collecting all those beautiful wildflowers and pressing them and then cataloging them. And at that same time, you were kind of, you know, not, you hadn't started yet, but remember you did take floral design in high school and mm-hmm, you loved mm-hmm. Yeah, but I still was on, you know, paper in high school about our careers. And, you know, I, I saw that floral designers just don't make a lot. And they usually just end up working in flower shops. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of deterred me away from this adventurous life. I thought I was going to, you know, be, be this field biologist, this field studies botanist, you know, changing the world, creating a new variety of plant you know, new variety of, I loved Gregor Mendel. He was my favorite scientist in high school because he took the pea plants and cross pollinated (laughs) them. So I loved genetics. I really got into plant genetics with Gregor Mendel and thought maybe, you know, I'll create my own variety of of roses or I'll go work in another country. Maybe I wanted to join the Peace Corps and I wanted to go work on the farms as a botanist. (laughs) So you know, I had a really amazing professor at UT. It's where I ended up graduating from. I did go to a couple different colleges, but ended up graduating at University of Texas. And, you know, they have a, an amazing research program there. And their little logo is, you know, what happens here changes the world. And I had some great professors who were doing some amazing work in the botany field. So, you know, I kind of thought, okay, I'll go this route. I'll be a professor. I'll be in academia. I'll be a researcher. I loved getting my hands dirty. I love being, you know, I'm a gardener. I'm like you. I loved my mm-hmm. hands being in the dirt. I loved, you know, um, being in the field all day and then coming back to the lab and, and, you know, writing up a hypothesis and creating a you know, going doing scientific method over something I wanted to learn and <laughs> doing the science myself. So I love that. Um, and then thought maybe I'd own a flower shop one day, you know, that was kind yeah. of, I still loved flowers. I saved all my allowance and bought my own flowers for my room. You remember I used to have lilies in my bedroom. Well, your, your plan was when I retire, I will have, you know, a flower barn mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. after you had a flower me- shop. Yeah. Yeah. And after you had gone out and, you know, been out in the field and changed the world, then you were going to retire to your flower shop. So that's yeah, something, you know, therapeutic and <laughs> relaxing. And, you know, I've always loved art. I've always loved making things. I was really crafty. I love to paint. Wasn't <laughs> the best painter or the best artist, you know, but I felt like florals <laughs> ended up being that for me. But you always yeah. have strong, uh, very strong in design, which is, uh, that is a, a true skill of an artist because that's one of the big you know, parts of being an artist is design. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people know how to paint, but they don't know how to design a painting. They don't. So you are an artist. Uh, Thank you, mom. I'm a a science, science loving artist. And, you know, I, I fell in love with biology and botany and thought I would have a career in that and ended up being a science teacher. You know, I was a science teacher for a little bit. Yeah, you were. And you really enjoyed that. And I remember uh, when I went to help you set up your classroom, there was uh, they had garden boxes. And so you were actually able to to do a combination of what you love, which is talk about science, teach about science and then also do that gardening aspect. But when you were finishing college, when you came back here, uh, after you graduated from University of Texas at Austin, remember I had given you my old desk because you kind of set up your first flower business in the garage. You were doing, you started doing, you know, weddings for some of your friends that were getting married straight out of college. Yes. I mean, that's kind of how I made the switch over into 
flowers. I was studying botany and getting my degree at UT. And I had a couple of friends who were getting married. And at that time, I, you know, sci especially studying science and working full time, I wasn't, you know, working 40 hours, but close to that, you know, waiting tables and, mm -hmm. and going to school and studying, it was stressful. So, you know, flowers have always been a way for me to de-stress. And I love, I have a really strong sense of smell. And that's probably why, you know, I have this this instinctive, you know, desire to want to be an herbalist because I love the smells of herbs and oils and flowers. And I just love a room to be, you know, brightened up with fresh flowers and also that smell walking into a room that has fresh roses or lilies. It's just, you know, stops you in your tracks. Yes, it does. So you were kind of at that time you were like you said, waiting tables at Sullivan's, you were, you know, finishing your degree and you were, you know, doing little, small little uh, bridal uh, bouquets. I remember that and doing just, you know, and you were also doing a whole lot of uh, boutonnieres and bridal bouquets and stuff like that. But when you were finishing up, when you, I, I remember something that always stuck out with me. Uh, you called me at, from the, I think you were on the bus at that time, leave going back to your apartment. And you had told me you had just gotten out of one of your anthropology classes. It was, uh, I think, mitochondrial DNA day or something like that. <laughs> had called me and you were like, I know why you love New Mexico so much. And I was like, why? She goes, because mom, we're Zuni. And I just remember that you fell in love with anthropology too. So, uh, and you were always talking about, you know, the development of man. And so you actually ended up Tell the viewers uh, your exact degree, because I think it will give them an idea of, of who you really are. So I graduated biological anthropology degree in a botany minor. So almost a double major, but I, um, not quite. So obviously was studying plants, but I really, I took a class, an anthropology class in college in I just loved it. I fell in love with it. And we really started talking about all the different levels of anthropology. You've got cultural anthropology, linguistics. You know, I had a professor who knew 25 languages. And then you've got um, the social part of anthropology. You've got the cultural part, linguistics, and then biological. And okay. then archaeology. So, you know, anthropology is the study of humans. So you've got some anthropologists that study the cultural side of humans the social part, the language part, or the genetics part. So that's the part that really kind of spoke to me because I was in all these biology classes and we were just studying single-celled organisms. We were <laughs> learning about, you know, amoebas and we were learning about viruses and we were just born, you know, to me just was not very, you know, exciting. <laughs> but once I could relate that to the bigger picture of mankind and how we've evolved to where we are today, I fell in love with it. And then I took a class called Anthropological Genetics. And that was so cool. And so we actually had a day where we sequenced our mitochondria DNA. And if you remember, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Makes all your energy. It is what's converting all that food we're eating into usable energy. And so the mitochondria is an organelle within your cell that has its own DNA that's separate from the DNA that's in your chromosome, that's in, in your nucleus. And that's the only things I remember from biology is, you know, that the citric cycle that's in the mitochondrial DNA is the little engine that can. <laughs> yeah. 
that's one of the few things I remember from biology because I took biology at university. Yes. I was lost since being. <laughs> yes. So I loved it, but I also loved drawing. You know, if you look at my science books, I'm always doodling. I always was drawing mm-hmm. pictures of the cells and I was drawing little pictures of the organelles and then, you know, color coding them. And so I always was, you know, had this scientific mind, but had an artist mind as well. You know, my notes looked totally different than my peers who were pre-med, you know, mm-hmm. I had pretty pictures of flowers and they were highlighted and, you know, I had all like the ATP, which is made in the mitochondria, you know, had, it looked like a little starburst and it was yeah, yellow because it, you yeah. know. I remember I do and I and you know in my biology book you'll laugh but I love drawing the sequence of the DNA mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. they twist and turn they, they remind me of origami so I that was on in my biology notebook I did a lot of doodling too because I was you know it helped me remember things if yes I, it, yeah and you everybody finds a way that it relates you know we're all different learners I had to learn mm-hmm. that you know when I was a teacher had to learn that everybody has a different way of learning you know some are kinesthetic like my I think my son's going to be a kinesthetic learner like his dad who's very hands-on he mm-hmm. you know learns with his body so he's an athlete he likes to move around a lot and then some people are audible they like to hear some people are I, visual you and I are visual you know we like to see things and- we're visual but I'm also very audible I am very audible and uh, I find that I can hyper focus on things when I was at uh, North Texas, where people would be kind of lost and, and you know, kind of daydreaming, I would be listening intently. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I could, you know, make myself a really good note. So that's how you know, that's how I studied because I was a single mom and I, so a lot of times I couldn't afford the textbook. So I had to take really good notes, Raquel. Yeah, you know? taking good notes and uh, you know, so I had a day in class where it was mitochondrial DNA. We sequenced it and you get 46 chromosomes. So you get 23 from mom, 23 from dad. 23. And so you're pretty much split down the middle from mom and dad, right? Mom's going to give you half of her DNA. Dad's going to give you half of his DNA. Well, in your mitochondria, you have DNA that's only from your mom and her mom and her mom and her mom and her mom. So you've got this amazing link, you know, to your history. Yeah, Yeah. this lineage that, you know, I, that was before 23andMe. That was before Ancestry.com. And so we did this test. It wasn't our full DNA. It was just our mitochondrial DNA that I got from you and you got from your mom. She got from her mom. She got from her mom. And that's how it's passed down. So we found out that we were Zuni Indian. So the only mitochondrial DNA that was passed down was this Zuni Indian. So it was really fascinating to find out a little bit more about our history. And it made so much sense because we we knew we're Native American, but not sure what from which tribe. And, you know, we have relatives in Mexico, but, you know, were they Mexican-American, Mexicans, Europeans, Native Americans? We didn't know. So this class that I took, we got to sequence that DNA and I got to, you know, share the news with everyone that we were Zuni Indian, which makes so much sense because you've spent so much time in Santa Fe and Taos and that's their origin. Yes. And then you're also very famous for, I remember the other conver- conversation when you were, when you fell in love with anthropology, you called me and you go, mom, did you know that, uh, Clovis man is from Louisville. And I said, yes, <laughs> the Clovis man, Clovis man, uh, is from, uh, Northern New Mexico. She goes, but did you know that there's Clovis man in Louisville? I said, yes, I do. They have one little sign. I said, and it gets worse. I'll have to tell you this. And you're like, what? I said, they dynamited when they built the lake. Um, uh, they found the remains and mm-hmm. they dynamited them. 
So they had found, but on the little plaque down at the end of the lake by the dam, you you can see it. And they talk about Clovis man, 15,000 year old man were here, like literally two miles from where you grew up, Raquel. And so mm-hmm. you went on to Wikipedia <laughs> and I remember you went on, you were so angry that you didn't know that growing up, uh, you know, growing up in Louisville, going to high school in Louisville, that you did not know that Clovis man was from Louisville. And so you went on Wikipedia and made sure that that was, that people could Yeah, know. added in that, you know, to know where the, some of the first remains of, you know, humans as we know it in North America, obviously, you know, the first remains are obviously in the Africa you know, and out of Africa, but, um, I loved archaeology. I loved anthropology. Did a whole summer on archaeology, digging in the dirt, looking for remains of, you know, past human life and past cultures. And what I really liked on the archaeology side was, you know, looking at the fossils of plants. So Mm -hmm. there's a whole nother side of paleobotany. So I was like, oh, maybe I can be a paleobotanist when they when they (laughs) do go and they dig up, you know, they're going to build a big mall or parking lot or, you know, whatever. And they're going through and they they send a team of archaeologists in first to make Mm -hmm. sure that it isn't some, you know, amazing site that there's all these, you know, could be possible artifacts of human remains or life or, you know, something that we need to know, because that's what archaeology is, it's studying and if you're studying archaeology of humans and you're studying the remains of what's left over in, in creating this story of, you know, what, what what life was like during that time. Yes. And, you know, Raquel, that made me so proud when you, you put that on Wikipedia, because a lot of people don't realize that, you know, those are our ancestors. Those are our ancestors that have been here walking in North Texas, uh, for 15,000 years and they didn't have any other remains. And that's why when you were, I was really excited when you were, you know, going down that anthropological, archeological, you know, avenue that you were, you know, that was something you wanted to do. I knew it would take you away from me, but I knew it was also going to be fun for you because you have that adventurous side, like your mom and you would get to travel the world and, you know, do big things. Yeah. And I, you know, I love our, learning about our ancestors and learning about what came before us because none of this is ours. We're just borrowing it from our ancestors, you know, and we're, our kids are going to come after us and they're going to borrow it from us. You know, it's just this big cycle of recycling, right? It's everything that we love. And, you know, so archeology span and anthropology, I felt like tied me closer to this earth and what came before me and knowing that it is really important to protect the earth and for generations to come, you know, because what's going to come after us. You know. Yes. And, and and the one thing that I love about that statement is that, and I'll just kind of unwrap it a little bit, unpack it, is that you don't, you can't really develop a love for Mother Earth when you are always in the me, when you're always in the ego, when you're always, you know, I'm, I'm here on this earth, you know, I, you know, I'm the be all end all. But then, you know, when you get a little bit of maturity, and some people find it early in life, like you did, you know, you, you didn't find it at the end, you found it at the beginning, and you realize, I'm not the only one, there were people who walked this beautiful place before me. And I want to know about them, I want to mm-hmm. learn from them. And you know, that's something that is not in style in today's, you know, consume and throw away society. But I do believe, and I think I think you do too, that we are entering a renaissance area where people are starting to get it. And they're starting to, you know, stop 
Well, I'm hoping that not everybody wants to be a TikTok star. I'm hoping that there's more young people <laughs> that, want to, that want to be an archaeologist or a scientist, you know, uh, somebody that doesn't just want to be on American Idol. But, you know, you had that love very early. And so that really helped you. I mean, it was a natural segue for you to become an earthy girl. You know, it really was because you were pretty much born into that you know we talk about old souls but there's people who take they take a good look around and they say you know what what is that and mm-hmm. that's the scientific mind right there mm-hmm. yeah asking questions and you know sci- scientists are really at the end of the day just question the askers you know they mm-hmm. want to know the answer to something and then a lot of times they go find the answer you know they through the scientific method they'll set up the steps and figure something out new. And there's, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, everything's already been discovered. Like how cool would it have been to be like Lewis and Clark and, you know, exploring, Mm -hmm. you know, United States. Oh, everything's already explored. Well, you know, or what about the botanist who studied, you know, traveled the world and cataloged all the plants out there? Well, there's still things to be, you know, explored and there's still things to learn and grow. And I think that that is, you know, you learn a lot about the world by just asking questions asking questions. And then like they say, what's the scientific method after you ask that question, you start to go backwards, you know, you start to go backwards and and track it. And then you find out, you know, and you develop your hypothesis, like you said, and then you have to go out and set out to prove that it's true. Mm -hmm. Or untrue. Yeah. Or untrue. Exactly. Or that's not true. So that's the scientific method, you know, and our show is rating as nature and science. So uh, that's how we're rated. So that's what you're going to hear from the earthy girls. But um, we wanted you to know a little bit about our background. So Raquel in the next podcast, she's going to interview me and uh, I'm excited to hear what she has to ask me. Um, But I think, Mm -hmm kind of understand a little bit more about you and how you're, you know, you travel this winding, beautiful path to come to where you are. And you're really encompassing now, not just, you know, you're really a a teacher every day. You're, you know, you you teach once a week on the podcast, but you are a teacher every day and with your two children and they will be the better for it. They will be able to benefit from somebody that can, you know, Oh, I don't know that. Let me find out. Yeah, it's so fun. You know, tonight I actually have a class. I'm teaching a floral class. And so that's something I love doing now, too, because I'm kind of almost segueing out of wedding floral. Not so much. I have done that for almost the last decade, Mm -hmm. you know, and when I was a science teacher, I was, you know, teaching botany and biology and chemistry and astrology and gardening and chickens. And I loved that. But I also had this desire to be my own boss and entrepreneur. And, you know, I learned that from you, that that Mm -hmm. spirit is ancestral in in me too, you know, from you and then your grandmother and then her family. So I wanted this freedom probably to not be confined to, you know, one classroom. Um, But I was able to start my floral business in the summertime when I wasn't teaching Mm -hmm. and, you know, doing just really flowers for friends who didn't have a whole lot of money, but wanted some pretty flowers. And then before I knew it, you know, I had done everybody I went to high schools with wedding. (laughs) And then, you know, I was taking... um, (laughs) Yeah, I remember I was taking night classes at the community Mm -hmm. college to do some floral design and kind of honing my craft. And then I started doing, you know, kind of destination classes and going and studying other, you know, under my favorite florist, master florists. 
and traveling all over. And then, you know, got to the point to where I kind of wasn't giving my best to my brides and I wasn't giving my best to my students. I really had to decide which way to go. And then also you fell in love and you got married. So then there's adding. Mm -hmm. So being your own boss is good when you do have young children because you can make your own hours. And I do feel like eventually I do feel like we will see you at a university teaching. I do. I feel like that will be something that you will end up in is, is definitely back. You know, eventually once your children get older, I do see you going and getting your master's and possibly a PhD. I do. I see that. In well, your- and I, yeah, I, I would love to go back and do like plant medicine and get my master's or PhD in that. But, you know, I have talked a little bit um, on Earthy Girl about how I'm going to do my cert- my herbalist certification. Right. So that's going to help me dive back into, you know, the classroom learning. setting, learning um, plants and using plants as medicine and plants as healing. And I'll be able to offer some of our oils, you know, and the Earthy Girl products. So I always do some of the, the um, oil rollers right now. But learning, you know, diving more into that, I'm really excited for because I always have that academic academic part of my life you know but I fell in love with floral design I fell in love with the freedom that I had of you know creating my own schedule and then getting to serve this whole beautiful world of weddings you know mm-hmm. um, and at the same time I met some amazing women who are my age who had the entrepreneurial spirit and we really just banded together and just kind of you know we're a force to be reckoned with started you know our own studio with you know, makeup artist and photographer and wedding planner. And we just had some really great years. And then now becoming a mom and, and having, you know, two kids, it's hard to be gone on the weekends. You know, it's hard to be gone a full day. I wake up with the sun and I'm home, you know, when it's dark. So, you know, I want to be home with my kids and I've been able to build the flower barn here and work closer to home so that I don't have to do as many weddings. So I really can kind of focus on doing weddings that, you know, I'm passionate about that, you know, working with clients who really love what I do. And that way I also have time to work on Earthy Girl. You know, I really fell in love with what we create. Yes. And let's segue before we close the showdown. Um, I'll I'll record my segment uh, separately, Raquel, but speaking of education, we are going to do a live Facebook uh, class that you're going to teach. And I'm so excited on how to live a less toxic life. And that's next week, a week from today, January 27th at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. So look for us um, on Facebook and uh, request to be a part of the group. And we would love to have some of you from, you know, internationally uh if that time works out for you (laughs) i know we do have listeners um we have a lot of listeners in europe we have a lot of listeners uh and we have some listeners like i said in south africa we have listeners in mexico and brazil singapore the virgin islands so uh shout out to the earthy girls and earthy guys all over the world that is so awesome well i just thought it'd be a great way to start the new year off with a little bit of you know, I think that people really want to live a less toxic, chemical-free life, but they're just not really sure how. And so we'll just kind of start with some simple steps and, you know, even... The basics. Yeah, the basics. You know, I wanted to be talking more about some of the products that I use. I'll be able to come back weekly and say, here's some new products that I'm using. I just bought some new diapers for Daisy that are plant-based. They're paraben-free. They're BPA free. Oh my gosh. All of, you know, all those sulfate free. Um, so I'm going to try those out and I will re- let you guys know next week. I got some diapers and some wipes. 
So I have, you know, there's this, this really fine line of obviously helping the planet and inconvenience, which we talk about being an earthy girl isn't always convenient. Um, oh. So I want a diaper that obviously is good. It's not going to create any rashes. It's hypoallergenic. It doesn't have any harmful chemicals, you know, on my daughter's bottom and, you know, areas that are important, you know, for reproduction. You want to make sure that everything that you're putting on your body is as chemical free as possible. So, you know, and creating a good life for my kids is important for me. Creating a healthy environment for them to thrive in is really important. It's a priority. And if, you know, working less means that I get to be home with my kids more, I'm cooking good food, I'm, I'm cooking, you know, chemical-free, toxic-free, preservative-free food for my kids to nourish their bodies. But I'm also buying products that are good for their bodies too, you know, like they take a bath. I want to make sure that, you know, the soaps I'm using and then, you know, the lotions I'm using and, yeah. you know, everything is as clean as possible. So we'll kind of go through the steps of that. I don't want it to be overwhelming because I want it to be empowering. I want people to feel like, oh, I have this knowledge and I'm going to be better for it. Not, oh, that's scary. That seems too much or too expensive or too daunting. So I'm not going to do it. So I want to break it down and make it relatable to everybody. I thought it's a great way to start the new year, you know, being less toxic in the new year. Yes. And we did learn that with our guest, Michelle Carmen, like she said so eloquently, it's not just what you put into your body. It's also mm -hmm. what you put your body and like we also did in one of our episodes that you know our dermis is our biggest organ you know we think about the heart we think about the liver we think about our kidneys our lungs our brain but what covers the biggest area it's our skin our epidermis yeah. so mm -hmm. we're constantly putting things on our skin and I will tell you since taking Michelle's class or having Michelle on our podcast that I have reduced dramatically the use of lipstick, because that really rang true with me, you know, and I'm doing what she says, put a barrier, you know, put a lip balm on before you put it, watch the color, the darker it is, the worse it can be. So yeah, we are educating people little by little. And Raquel's going to take that to a whole new level. And uh, she's, she's gotten really good at, uh, you know, being on camera, because you're, of course, you're gorgeous, but you've gotten really good at being comfortable at teaching people, uh, you know, remotely. So it'll be great. Well, I think that was a great first show. Thank you for spending some time with me and asking me some fun questions. I can dive back in to my past a little bit and also to remind me, you know, why I'm doing this, why we're the earthy girls. And I just love being able to, to be here with you, mom. So thank you for all your hard work on the podcast. Oh, I love doing it. Okay, well, let's end this podcast. I know you've got to get uh, in the kitchen and get with the kids, but we'll just end it like we always do. Stay earthy. Stay earthy. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Petals to Paper, the magic behind the making. This episode is brought to you by Arla Floral. We are a Dallas-based floral design company specializing in weddings, events, corporate parties, floral classes, and DIY tutorials. We'd love for you to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and to visit our website at arlafloral.com.